Uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So James chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 18. This is the Word of God. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and evil and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. We're going to pray before we look at this uh, text for just a little uh, time this morning, just uh, to mention two things before we do that. Uh, First, as many of you know, uh, last weekend, uh, Todd Branchflower passed away. Uh, The funeral was on Friday, and so we want to continue to remember uh, the family and friends and loved ones, particularly Steph and the children. And also, if you were there you may have noticed, and you may notice uh, this morning, uh, that uh, Pastor Sam was not at the funeral, and he's not here uh, today. Uh, Thursday afternoon late, he had a bit of a spell and had to be taken to the hospital. So, he's okay. Uh, I saw him yesterday, and they were monitoring him and wanted to just make sure everything is okay, and it looks like it is. So, after some tests yesterday, uh, Lois uh, told me last night that they didn't find anything to be alarmed about, and so just a matter of probably proper uh, rest and uh, nutrition and recuperation, and there shouldn't be anything uh, lingering with that. So, I believe he's still in the hospital today. He doesn't need a whole slew of visitors. He's okay, and Lord willing, he'll be going home uh, reasonably soon. So, just just so you know. Uh, Let's pray, then we'll look at the text together. Our Father, uh, we would ask this morning that you would, by your Spirit, uh, open your Word. We pray that you will call us to live the lives you would have us to live. We pray that uh, that you will allow us to be wise enough to want to be with you and spend time with you. Lord, we we thank you for uh, what Mackenzie shared, uh, for uh, sharing her heart and passion, and also for the work that she's been doing and will continue to do. Lord, we pray that you will, uh, in a very rich and powerful way, uh, pour out your Spirit in revival and awakening in our midst, but also on the university campus. We pray that there will be a great work done uh, in the lives of these students and that it will be done in such a way that there will will not that it will not be possible to sort of parcel it out in terms of uh, credit to different human beings or leaders, but that it will be obviously done by your spirit. 
that what is done is done supernaturally and obviously so. We pray that for our midst as well, Lord. We pray that you will work in our church here in a way where, which bypasses and transcends anything that is uh, possible through human engineering and machinations alone. Uh, Lord, we pray that your Spirit will be the living force in our church. We pray that you'll help us to grow in a healthy and spiritual way to be more like Jesus Christ. Father, for those who are grieving and mourning, and we think particularly of the branch flowers, Lord, we pray that you will give them comfort and strength and the grace that they need. Uh, We pray especially, Lord, for Steph and for the children, Charlotte and Emily and Gavin. We just pray that you will be their support, that you will be their rock, uh, their foundation, and someone who is uh, imminent and intimately close to them emotionally to to help them uh, to grieve properly and well. Father, for Sam, we thank you for him. We we confess that we really... uh, we, we really have no idea how much good He does in our midst. Uh, we, we really have no idea what it would be like to try to carry on without Him uh, here. And so we thank You for the years that You've blessed this church with Him and pray for many, many more years with Him uh, on staff serving in the various capacities that You give Him to serve in and also just by being uh, the person that He is in terms of being worthy of imitation. Lord, restore him uh, speedily, we pray, to, full, to a full measure of health and strength, and uh, be with Lois as well at this time. Uh, give them wisdom to know uh, what to do to speed recovery. And Father, this morning, open your word, open it to us now by your Spirit so that you can be glorified and so we can be transformed a little bit more into the image of Jesus, for we ask it in his holy name, amen. Now, this text hangs thematically uh, with both what came before in James 3, 1 through 12, and what's going to come next in chapter 4. Uh, a reminder, of course, that the chapter and verse divisions aren't original uh, to the text. James is not jotting these numbers down as he goes. And so this section sort of functions as a, as a Janus, you know, that two-faced Roman god who looks to the past and to the future, sort of like a hinge or a pivot. And that's what this text does. It draws in, it draws along with it things that have just been said and will also point the way forward to what James is going to address next. Of course, what he has been talking about is uh, teaching, authority, and the tongue, sins of the tongue, uh, how, how dangerous the tongue is, how, how difficult it is to control our speech. And so if we're going to be controlling our speech, one of the things that we need is we need wisdom. And so now James is going to be transitioning a little bit to talk about what does it look like to be wise? And, and a lot of things we might think are associated with wisdom, James doesn't mention at all. So he doesn't say, who is wise and understanding among you? Let's write an, you know, an SAT-type exam and see how you do. He doesn't say, let's, let's see how you're managing your stock portfolio. He doesn't ask any questions along those lines. He doesn't say, you know, how eloquent are you? you know, how do you do in trivial pursuit? He says, let them show it by their good life. In other words, 
if you're wise in understanding, it's not a matter of flaunting knowledge. It's a matter of living constructively and positively in the world. That's how you demonstrate real wisdom. Now, one of the reasons for this, of course, is that in wisdom literature, you think of the book of Proverbs as the, as the classic example of this in the Bible, uh, in wisdom literature, the fool is not someone who is deficient intellectually. That is, the fool is not known by their low IQ. The fool is known by their opposition to the ways of God. That is, they, they're not teachable. They're not correctable. They're not interested in God's ways. They're going to do it their own way. And in that sense, you know, it's a moral issue. So, so to be a fool in wisdom literature is a moral evaluation, not an intellectual one. You can be a brilliant fool. You can earn your PhD and be a fool. You can have virtually no education whatsoever and be wise. Some of the, some of the wisest people that, that are alive today are part of the, you know, the greatest generation, those born shortly after, around the time of the First World War, grew up through the Depression, experienced either in, in personal embodiment or just through sort of global news and relations, the Second World War, rebuilding of society and all of the rest. As time goes on, more and more and more people are earning post-secondary diplomas and degrees. I think you make a very, very good case that the, an older generation is one of the wisest generations we've ever seen. Education and wisdom are simply not the same thing. Uh, education and wisdom, natural intelligence and IQ and wisdom are not the same thing. You can have people who are tenured professors at, at you know, globally recognized research institutions who in God's sight are fools. And you can have illiterate people who have no formal education whatsoever who by the demonstration of, the more, of their moral conduct in God's sight are extremely wise. So, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. That's the test. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So, these deeds that are done, which correspond to the good life, are deeds that are done in humility. And fascinatingly, humility comes from wisdom. Why is that? Well, because if you're going to be avoiding folly, that is, if you're not a fool, you are in submission to God. That's how it's diagnosed in wisdom literature. So, to be a fool means to oppose God. To be wise means to walk on His paths, to discern His light, to follow Him, because He is, uh, he is omnisapient. That is, He is all-wise. And so, when the all-wise God speaks, you would be a fool not to listen. It's not merely a matter of naked authority. It's a matter of he knows better than you do. And, and so you're going to listen to him unless you're a fool. He is the all-wise God. You can't do better, you know, cobbling together your own opinions out of your own head. And, and, and so God knows the best pathways. We are to learn to walk in them. This is why, and many of you know this, of course, this is why Proverbs will teach you that the beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord, taking God seriously, revering God is where wisdom begins. But you can't fear God if you're an arrogant jerk. You can't fear God if you're just filled with conceit and pretension. Fearing God is a stance which can only be taken by those who have at least some baseline of humility. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Out of this posture of humility and fearing God, then, begins to flow action. There are deeds done in line with the wisdom that comes from humility. And it is those deeds that go into living a good life in God's assessment. John Calvin, you know, very famously in his Institutes, talks about how all knowledge begins with knowledge of ourselves and knowledge of God. That is, you need some sort of proper self-assessment in order to be able to assess God properly too. But, but these things are, are reciprocal in terms of understanding. The, the better you understand yourself, I mean truly understand yourself, the more you will understand God by default. And the reason is you are the, the image bearer of God. But also, the more you understand yourself, the more you'll also be able to understand sin, which will allow you to understand God's grace and His holiness, almost in the negative indexing, that the, the things you see in yourself, which are, which are dishonoring to God, allows you to understand God's character even more by way of contrast. But the more you understand God, let's say His holiness, for example, the more you understand God's holiness and transcendence, the more you'll actually begin to get a glimpse into what sin means inside of you. It's a lot worse than you think. That it's the higher your view of God in every category the humbler your view of yourself will be. But the more you properly assess your role in the universe, the more you will also begin to be able to see how great God is in contrast and comparison to you. And so humility and the fear of the Lord are both essential component parts assessing God properly. If you assess God properly, you'll revere Him. That is, you'll fear Him. If you assess yourself properly, which isn't indexing yourself against other people, it's indexing yourself against God, you'll be humble. You'll grow in humility. The more you grow to know God, the more humble you ought to become. And the more humble you become, the more you analyze yourself properly, the more you should have a big thoughts about God. That you grow bigger and bigger and bigger, not because He's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, as Aslan reminds Lucy but rather because her capacity to, uh, to appreciate His bigness improves every year that she grows by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But in contrast, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambitions in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Maybe this actually brought across that, that it's the boasting about this is, is the denial of the truth. So don't boast about it and in so doing deny the truth. Well, what are you boasting about? What is he talking about here? If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, 
Envy and selfish ambition clearly run along the opposite lines of humility. Someone who is humble is not running around demanding that they be blessed in all the categories that other people are blessed in. That is, they don't think that, it, it, that it's, it's woefully unfair that someone makes more money than they do or, or, or whatever. Those who are humble will, and it may be difficult, will work in the contours of God's providence without raging and being envious of others who are blessed in different ways. So if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition, if you're just envious of someone else's success and you're trying to get ahead for your own selfish gain, this is the opposite of humility and it can't come from wisdom because wisdom, which starts with the fear of the Lord, produces humility. So if selfish ambition and bitter envy don't produce these, or can't come from humility, if they don't come from humility, then they, if they don't come from humility, then they don't come from wisdom. They're antithetical to wisdom. They're in line with folly. It's the fool who has bitter envy and selfish ambition. It's the fool who is just pursuing their own selfish gain without regard to others. Now, James says, if this is you, don't boast about it and deny the truth. In other words, if you are actually really living mired in envy and bitterness and selfish ambition, but you're also sort of boasting about how wise you are, then you're denying the truth. You're denying reality. You're delusional. You can't be wise if you're full of selfish ambition and bitter envy. You just can't be. And so to boast about how successful you are, because one of the things the text will teach us, and the text will teach us very clearly, you can, you can achieve all kinds of things through the wrong way. There's a way of getting things done in the world, which in many cases today is being applied in the church. Oh, there's ways of getting things done. You, you might be very successful. You can boast about how successful you are, all of your strategies that have turned out so well. James says, yeah, don't think that's because you're wise. Wisdom is a moral category that starts with the fear of the Lord. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Now, it's not too often that a translation decision really makes me think. But this one has. It's not too often that, that two little punctuation marks really make you stop and, and ponder, but this one does. The NIV translation, 2011, as you may notice, has quotation marks around the word wisdom, such wisdom. Now, in our little culture that we have, those, those quote-unquote air quotes somehow communicate a level of illusion, so-calledness, we could say, sarcasm. Well, maybe. Is he saying such wisdom 
does not come down from heaven. I'd never thought of it like that. I don't think he is, actually. I think the translators are trying to say this wisdom isn't the same type of wisdom that we're talking about. And that's true. It's not the same type of wisdom that you're talking about in Proverbs, for example. That's, that's true. But I think the context makes that clear. Uh, in Koine Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, they didn't use air quotes like this. In fact, they didn't use quotation marks at all. And so the context is supposed to be sufficient no matter what. So it's not very often that you get translators who, who sort of add this type of punctuation to, to a word which, which doesn't have it at all in the original and couldn't have had. So rather than it being wisdom in an air quote sense, I take it as it's been translated in all other English translations, or at least the ones that I'm familiar with and, and, and the previous NIV, is that this actually is wisdom. He's talking about real wisdom here. He, he, he's, not, he's, not, he's not joking. He, this isn't so-called wisdom. This is real wisdom. It's demonic wisdom. There is wisdom that comes down from heaven. There is wisdom that comes up from hell. I think that's what he's saying. This is real wisdom. But you have to understand it in the sense of the wisdom that gets things done, that's earthly and unspiritual and demonic, that is, it is opposed to the way of God. It's, it's um, Wittgenstein, we talk about language games, that is, it, it's a way of working inside of a system to win. And so, are there ways of being wise according to, you know, Satan and, and the demons and, and screw tape running to Wormwood. I mean, is there ways to get things done that are the opposite of the ways God wants to accomplish things? Absolutely. There is real wisdom that comes from the devil. Now, I am not making this connection too tightly. So, so this, this transition might seem like I'm, I'm making a one-to-one correspondence. I'm not. But it is worth considering the career of Donald Trump. You stop and you ask yourself, who in the last number of decades has been more successful than Donald Trump? It's a short list. It's an awfully short list. One of the most successful businessmen in America. Has he had businesses that have failed? Yes. That's part of the entrepreneurial spirit. We, we praise people in business who try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. Then they finally put everything in and, and, and they, they get you know, massively successful. Part of, being an entrepreneur, part of being a good entrepreneur is trying things and taking risks. It's, it's a mentality. And, and this is one of the reasons why I will never make a dime. I'm always like, you know, I don't know, that, that, that GIC seems awfully risky. You know, <laughs> like, like there, are, there are other people that are like, no, this is how you, you, you try and you fail. So what? Then you just, you just load up and you try again. Like, that's part of a business mentality. I, I'd never do that. It would crush me psychologically. Now, 
Donald Trump he says some businesses fail. So what? It's part of the cost of doing business. Part of his methods, maybe a little bit shady. Well, there's a lot of shadiness in business, depending on where you are. Just, just think about 2008, 2009. Why, why did everything fall apart? It wasn't because of moral virtue. Becomes a, in, in a world where a lot of people now would rather be famous than rich, he becomes a reasonably successful TV celebrity. There's all kinds of people who would, who would sell their soul to have reasonable success in, in terms of being a celebrity. In fact, today we have people who, as far as I can tell, have literally no skills whatsoever except that they're famous, like the Kardashians. Like, there's a whole group of people who the only reason they're famous is because they're famous. I don't know how you get into that cycle, but that seems to be the case. So he's famous. He's a celebrity. Then he becomes the president of the United States. Regardless of what you think about, about politics, about, his, about his, his platform, that's the single most powerful office in the world today. Who has a better track record? In terms of what America looks at, who's been more successful than Donald Trump? Oh my goodness, it is a shockingly short list. Is Donald Trump wise? Careful. <laughs> Depends how you define wisdom. Can you be an idiot and be that successful in, in all of those domains? No, it's not possible. It's not possible. No one who has ever been the president of the United States is actually stupid. No one. As much as people made fun of George W. Bush, as much. No, no, no. To be that successful in business, you can't be stupid. You can't be. It's not possible. To put all of that run of life together, it's not possible. Donald Trump, love him or hate him, knows how to get things done and has gotten things done. And in that sense, there is no doubt that Donald Trump has an enormous amount of wisdom depending on the domain and the assessment of how you get things done in systems. Does he have wisdom from God? Is God the only source of wisdom? You'll recall the men of Issachar at a pivotal time in Israel's history. They're commended because they knew the times and understood what Israel ought to do. That's taken as a mark of godliness in the text. They understood the times and knew what Israel ought to do. The same thing is said of Xerxes' advisors when they deposed Vashti. His counselors knew the times. They understood what ought to be done. The one is to serve God. The other is to involve, is to involve real politic, how to accomplish things. Uh, you think about the, sh- the parable of the shrewd manager that Jesus tells, where, where this guy you know, basically rips off his boss say, and, and reduces all of the accounts so that other people will have to take him in when he's fired for, for being incompetent and dishonest. And the manager praises him, not because he's honest, not because he's confident, but because he, got, he at least could see in this system, this is the way to get ahead. There's wisdom there, even though he's a crook. 
You know, there, there are people who are assassins in the world. And we, we could argue whether or not they, they, should, they ought to be assassins. But you, you can have a good assassin. You can have someone who has wisdom in terms of being a good spy. Part of that involves a lot of deceit and all of the rest. Where does wisdom come from? What domain is it in? There's all kinds of ways to get ahead. There's all kinds of ways to get things done. And, and the truth of the matter is, there are all kinds of ways to grow churches that simply Im- take marketplace economic psychological analysis and dump it into the worship of, of God in the church with branding and marketing. And you can grow churches. It's actually not that hard if you just have enough capital. It's not hard to make, to make key hires in certain places. And all of a sudden, the church will grow. It's not hard at all. If any of you, any of you doubt that, give me $10 million and I'll grow a church to the other side of Guelph. First, first hire would be I'd fire myself and hire someone else. You know, it's not hard. You know, it's not hard to grow a church. It's more difficult to do things well God's way. God isn't concerned with all the metrics that we're concerned with. The devil is. The devil can have everything quantifiable for you. There are ways, if numbers are what count, the devil can get your numbers. Rather, what we're looking for, though, is wisdom from God, not manipulation, not learning to play the game. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. So the idea is that a church torn apart, but a church that's not operating on the basis of the wisdom of God will be torn apart with envy and evil and, and, and all sorts of terrible things. In contrast, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, that is, it is legitimate wisdom that comes up from the pit, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is known by its virtue. First, it's pure. The preeminent attribute of wisdom is moral purity. There's an innocence, there's a blamelessness in it. Wisdom is pure. It's peace-loving. Hates discord. Hates the endless bickering and jockeying for position. Wants peace. It's considerate. It yields to other people. Considerateness here is almost the the exact opposite of selfish ambition. It it wants to honor others, not looking for just what it can get itself. It's submissive. That is, it's it's willing to defer to other people. It's full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. It's not hypocritical. Humility is not something to be feigned to earn a certain type of reputation so you can get ahead. It's sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. In other words, real wisdom is morally virtuous and a blessing to the community. So the community is built up and a harvest of righteousness results. Wisdom is known by its fruit. 
Now, where do you get wisdom? Well, that's a trick question. You can get wisdom from all sorts of sources if all you're interested in is earthly success. But if you want wisdom that is, that is the type of wisdom that comes from God, you need to recognize that you're not going to get it from anywhere except God. And then in humility, if you're actually humble, then you're going to realize, I don't have nearly enough of it. So what are you going to do? Well, you're going to be awfully thankful you read James chapter 1 before James chapter 3 because you begin the letter by being told, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You know, oh, that's great, because when I get here, I realize I don't have all of the wisdom I need. Oh, what a great reminder that I took hermeneutics in Sunday school, so I know that I'm supposed to read chapter 1 before chapter 3, and I lack wisdom, and God knows I lack wisdom, and so all I need to do is ask. If we as a church ask for wisdom, the end result, down the pipe, is a harvest of righteousness. That's a beautiful thing. And it may look very different from the way we think. Because Paul tells us that the cross of Jesus Christ is the highest display of the wisdom of God. And it's the, fool, it's the most foolish thing the world can imagine. And so as we celebrate communion, as we think about God's wisdom, His Son dying in our place so that we could have eternal life, think about the profound difference between the world that teaches, the world's wisdom is get ahead for yourself. God's wisdom is I will love you and die for you so that you can live. That's your contrast. Worldly wisdom is about you. The wisdom that comes from God is about others. I'm going to ask those who are going to help distribute these elements to come forward. Just take a moment to bow in prayer and prepare yourself And in just a few moments, we'll celebrate communion together.